Good morning, everyone. I'd uh, just again want to extend my own welcome uh, to church today. Um, I am genuinely pleased that you are here today because it is a great day to be at church. Um, hearing Matt's story, I, I just love it. Don't you just hearing stories of how Jesus has saved and changed lives? And uh, we've got a few more happening later on. So really pleased that you're able to be in on this today. And um, it is a real privilege for us as a church to be able to baptize people like that. So um, great to have you here. If you don't know me, if we've not met, um, my name's Chris. I'm part of the staff team here, work here full-time. And uh, today I'm going to be speaking uh, from the book of 2 Corinthians. We're just taking a Sunday out of our uh, ongoing series. And uh, going to be speaking from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, if you have a Bible or you've got it on your phone, then please feel free to, to open that and have that in front of you. Otherwise, the verses will be up on the screens and you can follow along up there. So let's read uh, 2 Corinthians 5. just going to read two verses, 16 and 17. It says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So those are our verses for today. But before we kind of get into the heart of, of my message for this morning, uh, it's helpful just to give a little bit of context. It's always nice to know what's going on. There's nothing worse than joining a conversation halfway through and being that chump that has to nod and smile when really inside you're empty and there's nothing going on. So um, let's get ourselves up to speed. What we're reading in 2 Corinthians is actually a letter. Okay, So it's a letter written by a guy called Paul and uh, written to a church in the ancient city of Corinth. Uh, that's where these people get their name, the Corinthians. Uh, and this one is particularly labeled two Corinthians because there has been a one Corinthians. So in the Bible, there are two letters that we read to this church. Now, I say all of this, which might seem basic to some, but I remember when I first became a Christian, no one told me this stuff. So I, I remember going into these books and thinking, wow, that looks like some sort of cryptic code. Like, what? What is that word and what are all these numbers? And I basically just didn't know what was going on until months, maybe years later, when someone was like, oh, it's just like a letter to a church. I was like, oh, great. Makes loads of sense now. So there you go. Now we're all up to speed with that. Written by this guy called Paul. But who is Paul? Who is he? Well, actually, he, until this point, perhaps, it was a very unpleasant, nasty man. And actually, Paul, uh, previously known as Saul, persecuted and hunted down and even imprisoned and killed those that proclaimed to believe in and follow Jesus and realized that he was the son of God. He wasn't having any of it. He didn't believe that, and he didn't take it as, as truth. And so he persecuted these people. He was a really nasty piece of work at the time. Until, and I won't go into all of the detail, um, but until he had basically an encounter with the risen Jesus, so Jesus was on earth for about 30-odd years, a little bit more than that. And um, then he was killed on a cross and was buried in a tomb for a few days and then rose to life and was resurrected. He was on earth for a little while and then ascended to heaven. And then at some point after that, he appears as the resurrected Jesus to this guy, then Saul, now Paul, on the Damascus Road. Suffice to say, it is a pretty wild encounter that he has with Jesus, and it changes his life forever. Jesus basically comes to him and says, why are you persecuting me? It challenges him, what, why are you doing this? And to cut a long story short, 
Paul, as he then becomes, sets out on this kind of life work of his to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to people that don't know God. And that becomes his life's mission, his life's call. And it's as a result of that, him going off and doing that, that, that this church is started, this church in Corinth. And um, the Corinthian church very much becomes Paul's baby. He loves this church so dearly. He's so fond of them. So, so why this letter then? Is it like a love letter to them? Well, perhaps in part, but, but more than that, actually, it's, it's quite a sad letter to have to read because what happens is as Paul goes on from this church, so he goes to Corinth, preaches the gospel, the church is started, then he moves on, he keeps preaching elsewhere. And while he's gone, there are these others that come in, these opponents of Paul that start to undermine all of his teaching and actually undermine the true gospel. And uh, they start pointing to Paul. They say to the Corinthian church, why are you following and trusting this guy? Look at him. He, he's so weak and frail. How can you put your trust and believe what he's saying? He's so unimpressive. And actually, at the time, Paul probably would have been quite unimpressive because of himself now being a little bit persecuted for professing that Jesus is the son of God. He would have been in a pretty bad way physically. And so he would have looked unimpressive. And so these opponents of his hook into that and say, why would you trust him? Why would you believe in him? They undermine everything that he's taught. And as a result, this church just begins to believe a slightly skewed gospel. And it, and it begins to veer off track. And it breaks Paul's heart. It's a tragedy to him. And so this letter is actually full of pain and anguish at what's happened, but it, it, it's an encouragement. It's, it's got a sense of hope of, oh no, get back to what I told you at the beginning. Get back to the truth of the real gospel. He writes to them to help them, to encourage them, and he lays his heart out for them. Now, we are not exactly the same as the Corinthian church. Yeah, we, we might have some difference in issues, but there are some similarities to our time and in this city then. In Corinth, there was this kind of vying for success, wanting to look quite impressive, achievement being kind of the big goal to aim for. And I don't think that's too dissimilar to our society today, if we're honest. That is, is certainly one of the high narratives that people are trying to attain to. And so we can read this letter and almost read it as if it was sent to us. We can heed his encouragement and instruction to us and actually get a hold of the heart of his message and, and come back to the true gospel of who Jesus is and who we are as a result. So that's us joined into this conversation, up to speed. And then we read verse 16. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. I don't know about you, I feel like flesh is kind of a funny word to say that many times. It's just a bit weird. So um, what it means really, and this is what I will try and use more often this morning, is um, just to kind of have a physical point of view, a worldly way of looking at things, a worldly mindset. And this verse, I suppose, is, is Paul coming back against those that have already tried to undermine him. Those accusations that came at him for being unimpressive outwardly, 
He's making this point to say it's not about the outward appearance. And there's more than that going on. I mean, you know the phrase, you don't judge a book by its cover? I mean, Paul came up with that. That is his idea here. I don't know where the copyright is on that, but it should be his. I don't know about you, though. I, I actually do judge books by their covers all the time. And I know that it is true that you're not supposed to, but I go into a bookshop, and I'm a sucker for good design, and I honestly, I will just pick the one that looks the nicest. It might be dreadful inside, but I'm like, well, at least it's pretty on the front. It, we're all guilty of it, I think. And Paul's point is no, 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 no. That is not how we are to assess and judge people. And he makes the point of it and illustrates it by admitting to his own snap judgment of Jesus. That's what he says, that at one point, Paul judged Jesus according to worldly criteria. And he looked at him and thought, no, this guy cannot be who he says he is. He's not physically very impressive. Actually, the one sent from God to save the people of God is supposed to overthrow the Romans. This guy's getting nowhere close to that. And actually, it ends up getting killed on a cross. And Paul would have known that in the old scriptures, it says that anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. So this guy can't possibly be the savior sent from God. He has all these criteria looking from the outside, and he makes a snap judgment about Jesus. And he got it completely wrong. Totally misjudged who it was who was in front of him. And my question for you today right at the beginning, is this. Are you guilty of the same? Have you ever made a snap judgment about Jesus? What he's supposed to be like? What he's supposed to do for you? I have. My life is kind of similar to Paul's. I mean, less extreme, admittedly. (laughs) Maybe worth just pointing out as well. Never actually imprisoned or killed anyone. Um, But... uh, For 17 years of my life, I judged Jesus from a worldly perspective. I wasn't brought up in a Christian home, and I just thought Jesus was boring. I really had no time for it. I just thought he was the guy that was in far too many paintings around the world. Like, How has this guy got this much credit? I really just thought he wanted to put rules on my life, and I wasn't having any of that. I was like, I don't need that. My life's doing pretty well at the moment. And sadly... As a cocky 14, 15-year-old boy, I just thought Jesus was for old people. Sorry, but it was true at the time. I was just like, this is definitely not for me. I've got football to do. See you later. (laughs) And I judged Jesus according to what I could see, what I could observe, from a physical, worldly point of view. I didn't care about him at all. And also, physically, I was fine. So looking at myself from a worldly point of view, like I was doing okay. I was healthy. I was walking at Things were all right. And it was only when perhaps someone a little bit like Paul told me and explained to me that there is more to Jesus than meets the eye. They explained to me that, in fact, he's not just an alternative way of life. He is the true way to life. And this cross that I had heard so much about, which, as Paul you know, alluded to, looked like such a point of weakness that actually they told me that Jesus loves me and that's why he died on the cross. That Jesus wants a better life for me, not just rules, a better life for me, and that was bought for me on the cross. 
And that actually, that life does not just come to an end one day. It goes on into eternity, and my way in is through the cross. I had no idea. And what I discovered was that, although physically, like I looked and felt fine, I was walking, talking, healthy, underneath the surface, I was more than just unhealthy. I was what the Bible described as dead. Dead in sin. With no hope of getting out of that on my own. I made a judgment about Jesus from a very physical, very worldly point of view. And I made a judgment about myself in the same way. That I look fine, so I must be fine. It just wasn't the case. Are you guilty of the same? And Paul's point is that this kind of judgment is flawed. And in fact, it is misjudgment entirely. And that is why he then goes on to make this point by saying that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. And to be in Christ is, um, is shorthand, I suppose, Bible shorthand for a a set of much wider-reaching truths. It includes so many different things. It is to, to believe in Jesus and put our faith in him, to live out a life for him, to serve him. It is to be filled with his power, with the Spirit. And actually, as we've seen this morning, it is to become part of the Christian community through baptism. Matt is in Christ. Now, he was before because he had put his faith in him and put his life in his hands. And this is just an extension of that. He is in Christ today. And as a result, he's a new creation. That's what we are told. If we are in Christ, if we do that, put our faith and our life in Jesus' hands, we become new creations. And one of the commentators I was reading in advance of today, Colin Cruz, says that the great significance of Christ's work of the gospel is expressed in this very verse. I think, whew, that's a, that's a big claim, big hitting verse. So why so significant? What, what are the implications of this? Why is it so important? Well, firstly, to be a new creation means you have a fresh start, a new life, a new beginning. And it, it's not just like an upgrade. So often I think we fall into that trap thinking, oh, it's just my life is just a little bit better than it was before. No, 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 no. This is not just an upgrade. This is not the 2.0 version. This is not the like 2019 model of the 2018 you. This is brand new. Unblemished, unmarked, unstained, perfect. A new creation. It's what Jesus calls, and it's what we sung about in that song just then, being born again. Now, again, a bit of a kind of a weird phrase. It's not like some Benjamin Button-esque, like man in a baby's body sort of vibe. <laughs> it's talking spiritually about like going back to being a baby. Innocent, pure, clean. In every single way, a new creation. And we, we hear people all the time, I think, in our society say things like, Oh, I wish I could start over. Or, or like, uh, I wish I could talk to kind of my 16-year-old self and tell them to do things differently. Because there's this kind of deep thing in us of wanting to, 
to undo the things that we've done wrong and, and rewrite our story. You know, there's just some things that we cannot undo, that we cannot change, and not least our standing before God. As, as a human race, in rejecting him and living for our own self-interest, there is nothing we can do to undo that. There's no pep talk you can give to 16-year-old you that can change that fact. We need a savior. We need one to come to undo it for us. And Jesus has done just that. He's undone the stain of sin upon humanity by taking it upon himself. He's reversed the effects of death by overcoming it himself. That we can be made new and have a new life that is better than anything the world can offer. And a new life that that goes beyond the grave into eternity. A life that is never going to end. So that is what it is to be a new creation. To have a fresh start, a new beginning, unstained and unblemished. To be a new creation, secondly, insists upon there being a creator. Does it not? That someone, some agency is involved here. The other thing we hear, I think, uh, in kind of when people have put a lot of time and effort into a project, maybe someone's put hours and hours and hours into something, a lot of care and love, we might say that they have poured themselves into that piece of work. Oh, she poured herself into that, that essay, that piece of art. In the same way, God has poured himself into us. It's true of us that when we are in Christ, when we put our faith in him, and become a new creation. God pours himself into you and me. He pours his love, his delight, his his grace and mercy and his kindness into our hearts. As we are in Christ, he is in us. We know this because in Acts, another book of the Bible, we're, we're told that when we repent, that is to turn from our old life, and put our faith in Jesus and start to live for him, that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the creator poured into the new creation. So new creation is to have a fresh start, a new beginning, a new life. It is to have the the creator, the power of God himself poured into our hearts. And thirdly and finally, to be made into a new creation is to get a taste for the new creation. Now, hang on, it sounds like, Chris, you just spent 15 minutes telling me that I'm the new creation here. Like, what, what's this other new creation? Well, we're told that there is something else to come and that what we have when we are made new is a taste of that. Because the Bible says, yes, that of you, you are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. For you personally, that is the truth That is your existence, that is your standing now. And we're told that this age will pass away and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It talks about it in Revelation 21, but right at the end of the Bible, it says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. See, when we become new creations in Christ, it is more than just our life reborn. Though that is true, that is what the Bible tells us. It is also the breaking in of the new creation to come. And though we must, for a while, live in the tension of the fact that, okay, well, it's not yet fully come, and we don't know exactly when it's coming in full, we do know that one day it will. And us being in Christ, being found in him, ourselves being a new creation is our ticket into that eternity. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That is to say, they receive a fresh start, a new life in Jesus, unblemished, unstained, and never to be stained because Jesus has taken the effects of sin on himself. They have the power of Christ and the love of God poured into them by the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, they get a taste of the new creation to come. That is why we do not regard one another according to the flesh, from worldly criteria, because there is a lot more going on than what's on the surface. Maybe you're a Christian here today, and you think, yeah, no, I, I know this. But that was a long time ago for me, when I was made new. Well, well, actually, you can take heart from this, because yes, you've been made new. When you put your faith in Jesus, you were made into a new creation. And you are being renewed daily. Just a chapter before, Paul writes, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So this is one of those moments where the kingdom of God is totally upside down to the things of the world. Because every day we get a little bit older and, albeit a little bit morbid to say, a little bit closer to that day when we will die. But in the kingdom... It's not quite like that. We get made brand new. And instead of just fading over time, becoming a little bit skirmished and blemished and not quite as glossy as it was at first, every single day, you are being made new and made new and renewed to be more and more and more like Jesus until one day you'll be like him. That is your story. That is the journey and the trajectory that you are on. So take heart. Do not be deceived by the enemy, by the devil, who would tell you that your best days are behind you, aren't they? Nonsense. That is not God's word for you. There is a better word here for you that you are being renewed every single day. Your best days are ahead of you. And maybe you're here and uh, you're not a Christian. Everything I've described today can be yours in a moment. In just a moment. All that's required is just to turn away simply from your old way of life, to repent of that, turn to Jesus and put your faith and your trust in him completely. And you'll be made new in a moment. You'll probably look exactly the same. I'm not expecting any like, new limbs to form or anything like that, right? You will look physically the same. But inside, spiritually, you will have a new life, a fresh start in Jesus. Unblemished, 
never to be stained again because he is the one who's taken that for you. You'll have the love and the power of God poured into you. And that doesn't stop, by the way. That is not a one-time thing at the beginning. There is no limit, no end to his abundance and his goodness and kindness that is being poured into you every single day. And in a world full of uncertainty and living in the fear of what is going to happen tomorrow, next year, beyond, you will have genuine, steadfast hope, not just for tomorrow, but forever. For if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. What's going to happen now is the band are going to come. And we're going to sing a little bit together. And then I want to do, well, three things, really. First thing is I want us to pray for Matt. We're going to get some people around him just to lay hands on him and bless him today. This is a big day for him. And we are in on it. We are part of his family, so let's celebrate with him. Second thing I want to do is I want to pray for anyone who can resonate with that sense of feeling like my best days are behind me. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while, and this isn't necessarily to do with age, though I suppose it could be, but you have been a Christian for a long time, and you do not feel like the new creation anymore. You've been deceived by that lie. And I want to I wanna pray for you today. I want people to get around you and to impart into you that your best days are ahead, that there is more to come for you. And then thirdly, if there is anyone in the room who isn't a Christian that has not yet put their faith in Jesus, you can do that today. You can make that step and be made new in an instant and have everything that I've described this morning opened up to you. So that's what we're going to do in a second. I'll come back in a minute um, to lead us through that. But Rick and the band are going to lead us in a song. Why don't we stand? Let's sing together.